we have been studying for a time out of Nehemiah, before that Esther, and then before that Ezra. As we uh, come to the uh, close of Old Testament history, and so today we are in Nehemiah chapter 6. I invite you to take your Bible, turn there and hold it. We're going to be reading as we go through these different points in your outline. We will read and then we will make application of those, hopefully for your life as you seek to build a a godly life and seek to build into the lives of other people that God has put into your path. If you lived in Israel and were a Israelite, an Israelite, and you were either a boy or a girl of 18 years of age, and you were healthy, you would be conscripted into the army. There you would serve, you would train, and then you would serve. Boys serve three years automatically. There's no question. And girls serve automatically two years. At the conclusion of that time, you're no longer a part of the standing army. Now, I want you to watch and think about this, how Israel has been able, with the help of God, to protect themselves through the years with this kind of a tactic. But you would go from there into what would be called the ready reserves. And you would train, and you would be trained in combat readiness while you worked a normal job. I think that picture today is a perfect picture of what we have been talking about. You see that this is part four in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, uh, we're trying to figure out what it looks like to be a citizen soldier. And I can think of no better picture than to look at New Testament Israel because it goes back to a pattern that we have found in Nehemiah chapter 4. Now remember, we're looking at an historical event, but we're trying to draw out application for us as we live out being a citizen soldier today. Back in Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, here is a picture of what we're talking about. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each one labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with another. Each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. Now, I know that looks awkward. How do you do that? But the key that you need to see is that they were doing the work that they were commissioned to do, that God had told them to do, build the wall, but they had to be ready at a moment's notice to combat the enemies that were all around them. You know, in the Christian life, we see all kinds of pictures of what the Christian is supposed to look like, but I think it would be very, very helpful if you and I, and I don't think that we use this motif nearly enough, if you and I would view ourselves as citizen soldiers, You are engaged, and I'm not talking about just your regular vocation, which really, as I see it, 
now hear me, is an avocation. It's how you make your money so that you can do what you were commissioned to do as a follower of Jesus Christ. What is your commission? It's not just building stone walls like they were doing in the days of Nehemiah. It's you building yourself. This is basic discipleship. Building into your life brick by brick that which will be able to help you with all of the assaults going on around us as we move forward as followers of Jesus Christ. Not only that. By the way, that individually, personally, is a never-ending job. This side of glory, you're never going to get your wall fully built, all right? You keep working on it till the day you draw your last breath. But it's not just about you. And so we cross over into New Testament territory, and we see that, that Paul gives a charge. This is our commission. And you know, to the world, it may not look like much. Paul gives us our commission. I, I have a job to do. I'm a preacher. I'm pastor, Heritage Baptist Church in Oklahoma City. But really, you know what my vocation is? It's right here. So is yours. If you have a spouse, you might not. But you have friends. So it starts with, with those relationships that God has given you first. You're building the wall around your own life. And then wives. Instructions are given to wives. How do you do the wall building? Husbands. How do you build those walls into your wife's life, into your children's? Fathers, slaves, masters, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on, we just saw this a second ago, the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So, here's the picture. The second that you came became a Christian. I want you to know, you entered into the army of the Lord. That's one picture. It's not the only picture. But you truly did that, okay? And so your job, even though you have other things that you do, your job is to maintain, get this, combat readiness against all of the wiles of the enemy and to build those walls around you and around your wife or your husband, around your children, your grandchildren, and then your church, and then those other believers out as you go into the world and make disciples of all the nations. Now, I've put this up there. I can see some of you are writing it down. I like to alliterate. It helps me. I, I, this is really ratty looking. You can't see it, but this is my prayer guide that I use every day. And I use the Lord's Prayer as a template. And these words, some of them, are on this prayer guide as I pray. And the first thing I start out with, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, but I start out with hallowing the name of the Father. That is vitally important. And then when I get into to, to praying for my wife, and for my children, and for my grandchildren, and then for other family members, and it's in that order. And then concentric circles, as I go out and pray for you, the church, I, I pray this. 
I pray for purity for myself and for Jan, Jason, Amy, Katie, for the grandchildren. I pray those things. Presence, the presence of God to be a real, active reality. Passion, and by passion, I I don't mean passion just out there and and being drawn away with, with all of your feelings, but passion for the things of God. Protection. And do I pray for physical protection? Sure. I've got a 16-year-old grandson who just started driving by himself. But that really is not the kind of protection that I first want for all of my grandkids, for my kids, for my family, for you. It's protection, just like Jesus prayed. Don't take them out of the world. I pray that you keep them from the evil one. Provision, peace, I'm sure I'm leaving things out. But though every time I pray that, Monday through Friday, I don't pray all of this on Saturday and Sunday. Monday through Friday, I put this prayer guide in front of me, and I'm walking through, and I'm praying this. Do you know why? Because I said it just a minute ago. I have not arrived. And I'm praying that those things, brick by brick, putting the Word of God into my life, so that those things would become reality. And then, and then transferring, finding ways, looking for ways to transfer that into the life of my spouse. As long as the Lord leaves us together till death do us part. And then into the lives of my children. Grand, you, you hear what I'm saying? All the way down. Now, just like in the book of Nehemiah. Don't expect this to be easy. Because I said a minute ago, you enter the army when you're born again. And guess what happens? The enemy paints a target on you. You're attacking, and he's looking for ways in which he can counterattack. Here's another picture of how we build the walls. We we must do this, not only in this generation, but in every generation. This has always been since the first, speaking the truth in love. This is our desire. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, being joined and held together by every joint with the with which it's equipped, with each part working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, why? Why do we come together Sunday after Sunday and we do these things? By the way, you know what I've been preparing to do all week? Not only personally, and I've been doing it in my family and all the rest of that. This is wall building. Today, it's not just a little time that we come together and we sing songs and we try to feel good about who we are and what. This is life, this is reality, and this is what we're about so that you can be built up. That's my heart's desire so that you will not be tossed to and fro by the deception and the lies that are out there. 
The enemy does not want your maturity. This is the whole goal of why we do this, of what discipleship is all about. The worst thing, the worst thing, you know, it's interesting on Monday mornings, we have, uh, well, in the afternoons actually, we have staff meetings. One of the things that we do is we evaluate Sunday service. So what do you think that looks like? And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, okay, how do you evaluate this? And what are you listening for? You know, the thing that we don't really talk, we do talk about the quality and things like that. But I'll tell you what I'm looking for, and then we talk about people. We talk about who did we meet, who is visiting, who's coming, what needs do we have, who's missing. We talk about all those things. We don't talk about how emotionally stirred up we got. Or What I'm looking for is honoring music and faithful preaching. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's easy to compare, isn't it, some of you guys that have been preachers? with other people, about the best I can hope for is to be faithful and try to be building you up in the most holy faith so that you can grow and not be tossed around. There's a lot of tossing going on. So that's what we're after. Now, in order to persevere, what do you got to do? We're going to look at these things in just a minute. We're going to read the entire chapter of Nehemiah 6, and we're going to get through it in time for the Lord's Supper and go out. And then come back tonight at 6 o'clock, right? That's what we're going to do. So in order to persevere, you got to know this. I'm going to keep harping on this. God has an agenda and Satan has an agenda. Here's God's agenda for you, life. Life. What's Satan's agenda? What is it? To steal. To kill, destroy, is Satan ever your friend? Nope. And the sooner you realize that, I said a minute ago, Satan has painted a target on you, and the thing that he wants to do, and you're going to see this as we read through this, he wants to induce something in you that's going to make you stop building the wall. Personally. If he he can intimidate you, if he can do something to make you stop having your quiet time or never start it, he knows that eventually you're going to be tossed like on stormy seas. That's what he wants, so you can be destroyed. That's his agenda. and He wants to create, and we're going to see all the way through Nehemiah, Chapter 6, fear. Fear. He wants to induce fear so that you'll stop. You'll stop building the walls your own and those walls in others. Now, let me just say this too. You've got to have a gospel approach to this. What do I mean by a gospel? Here's a gospel approach. If you think about all of this as benefiting you, and your happiness, 
then you're, you're not going to be seeing it right. But if you turn that so that you can see it, and the emphasis is on, I exist for God and His glory, then this is going to make sense to you, and you'll see it. So let's get started. Number one, you must fight off distraction. I'm not talking about just this morning. I'm talking about all the time. Stay on task. Maintain your priorities. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. I'm going to read through this and make some comments, and we'll go on to point 2. You ready? Chapter 6, verse 1. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of the enemies, he pegs them already as enemies, heard that I had built the wall and there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. So they, they, they were coming and going as they pleased. Sanballat Geshem, this is important, sent to me saying, this looks really innocuous, okay? Come, let us meet together. Let's hang out at Hakafarim. That's a good place to hang out in the plain of, oh no, well, that's what it says. And somehow Nehemiah was discerning enough to see this, but they intended to do me harm. They were trying to make Nehemiah afraid and stop building the wall. That's the enemy. That's what he wants to do. So what did Nehemiah do? He stayed on point. I sent messengers to say to them, oh, no. Well, it doesn't say that. but I am doing a great work and I cannot come down why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you and they sent to me four times that the enemy is not going to give up four times in this way and I answered them in the same manner so here's here's what Nehemiah was he had attained some success maybe you have too and the enemy came really slick. All he's asking apparently is, hey, let's come down. Let's meet together. Let's have a discussion. And Nehemiah is not tricked. They are his enemies. The enemies counterattack. And Nehemiah discerns that their, their intent is to do harm by distracting Nehemiah. And guess what? The enemy wants to do you and your spouse, if you have a spouse, and your children and your grandchildren, he wants to distract you. If he can get you to come aside, have some conversations, and stop the work. By the way, how did Nehemiah get so discerning? What do you think? Chapter 1 tells us he was in the Word. He knew God's Word. Now, by the way, whoops, let me go back. Have you ever heard, and we hear it all the time, we hear it from Christians, non-Christians alike, the truth, is that true? Ah, you got it. A half-truth dressed as a whole truth is an untruth. The truth is the truth, but there are a lot of people, and there are some in this room, and you are not free. The truth was the truth when I was not free. And so it's a partial truth because Jesus said it like this, if you are my disciples, point one, if, are you a disciple of his? Have you come into faith in Jesus Christ? Are you following him? 
if you abide in me and in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and then the truth will set you free. And that's how Nehemiah got so discerning. He knew. Basically, what he replied to these guys was, look, guys, I don't have time to have conversations with you because it would be a distraction from me doing the great work that I've been called to do. By the way, what is that great work? What was Nehemiah's great work? Come on. Building a wall? Nehemiah, had to, he had to take a demotion. His commission was to build the wall. But he was cupbearer in Persia. He, he was incredibly rich. He, he, he was living the dream. To go to a backwater place like Jerusalem, the edge of the empire, to be with this little group of nothing, no-account Jews, to build a wall, he was not, he was not a mason, I'm, I mean a stone mason. He was a cupbearer, but he, listen, he got out of his comfort zone to do what God told him to do. And that's why I said a minute ago, all of us have avocations, but our vocation, my commission that I must fulfill until the day I die has been spelled out by Almighty God. Personal sanctification. Hey, by the way, this is your commission too. Students, personal sanctification. Growth in holiness. You never get too old for that. Looking around, who's the oldest person in here? I'm close to it, but not quite. You're older than I am, Ed. Okay. Personal sanctification. And then... For me, it's my wife, okay? I have a commission to love my wife as Christ loved the church to make sure that she is being built up. That's not going to happen from me or from her in perfection, but it is my commission. So husband, what does that mean? Be nice? Well... That's a good starting place. Through the years, I've heard husbands come into my office and say, uh, husband and wife stuff, well, I no longer love my wife. Depending on the situation, how well I know the person, I use this in my premarital counseling. I'm looking for some people Maybe they went through it. But I always try to quote when we're talking about love. Stephen and Paula, do you remember this? That's been a long time ago. Um, The the immortal words of that great theologian, Tina Turner. What's love got to do with it? What's love but a secondhand emotion? No, husbands love your wives. That's not an emotion. That is a commission. Children, it's hard sometimes. Grandchildren, the church, the world. 
And there are going to be all kinds of people, physical, literal, online, everything else, Facebook marketplace, I, I, all the rest who are going to say, Let, let's meet at oh no for a conversation. Stop doing the work. I am doing a great work. I don't have time for that kind of conversation. You know, I've wondered sometimes if Eve had followed that advice. I'm doing a great work. You see, I've been commissioned not only to be the wife of Adam, but the mother of all living. Just come aside. Let's have a conversation, Eve. I've always wondered what would have happened if she hadn't had that initial conversation. He was a missionary to China, and he really, years ago, he really learned the language, relationships with the people, very, very effective. And a company saw that, an American company saw that. They wanted to hire him because of his effectiveness. Come to work with us, and you can do for, for the company what you're doing, but just no missionary work. Come to work for us, and we'll double your salary. And he said, no, I'm, this is my commission. I can't do that. And they came back, just like Nehemiah's enemies came back four times. Came back, came back, came back. And the last time they came back, offered him a, 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 an astronomical sum to stop doing what he was doing and come to work for them. And his reply was, it's not that your salary is too little, it's that the job is too small. There is no greater job, commission, God has given you than to be a disciple of Jesus, to build into your life personal sanctification, and then to build into the lives of those around you. There is no greater job. And anything that distracts you from that, tell them, I cannot come down. The work that I have been given by God is too great. Second point, you must reject misinformation. I could really go far afield with this, but I won't. Be truthful and strengthen your hands. Listen to this, verse 5. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, now he shifts gears. Enemy is slick. Sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. This is different. It wasn't a sealed letter. Everybody gets to hear this. And it was written, it's reported among the nations, rumor mill, turns into slander. And Geshem also says it, everyone is saying that you and the Jews intend to rebel. A little bit of truth, I don't know, but they had in the past. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And this is an out and out lie. This is slander. You have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now the king will hear of these reports. So now come down and let us take counsel together. Because the king is surely going to hear of this. Nehemiah's response, verse 8. Then I sent to him saying, 
baloney. No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to, what? Frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work, it will not be done. But now, here's a prayer. Oh God, strengthen my hands. Boy, this is packed. If Satan can't distract you, he'll try to discredit you. Please, if you listen to the media, this is truth. Don't believe everything that you hear. This is so vital. You will be slandered if you stand on the truth of the Word of God. So get ready for it, okay, if you haven't already been slandered. Why do I say this? Because Jesus was slandered and he was perfect. They bore false witness against him. They heard something, but they misquoted it. I will destroy this temple. He wasn't talking about, he was talking about his physical body and the resurrection. Paul was slandered. Look at this. And I, you can just take your pick for both Jesus and Paul. We have found this man a plague. One who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seize him. That is just a pack of lies. And so what do you do? What do you do if you've been lied about? Tell the truth. Don't become so fearful. You can say like Nehemiah did, baloney. Well, he didn't say that. No such thing has been said like that. You're inventing this out of your own mind. I'm telling you, now I'm speaking not politically. I am speaking biblically that the enemy wants to bully you and frighten you and force you to say things today that are not true. And sometimes you feel overwhelmed. That's not true, what you're saying. You've made it up in your own mind. You speak the truth in love. Folks, I'll just say that's everything. I'm not going to get involved with all of the stuff that's happening out there. If you want to read what we believe, go to our website or out there on the sanctity of life, the sanctity of marriage. The thing that we've got to get back to, the thing that will prepare us is this book right here and giving ourselves over to the truth. And that's why you see that banner right over there and it says according to Scriptura, uh, sola scriptura, and that's why we believe that the Word of God will correct all of the lies of the enemy. Now, this is important. I, I, I just want to show you this. They tried to threaten them to get their hands to drop. The prayer was, strengthen my hands. And I thought to myself, what does that mean? What does that look like? 
You remember the story of David and the raiders of Ziklag and how they had taken his family and burned the city and taken all of the families and 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 so the, they come back and they're all crying and weeping and 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 all of those kinds of things and they were thinking about killing David. So what did David do? He strengthened himself in the Lord. And what does that look like? What does that look like? Going back, the only way that I know of, and again, quiet time is so important, if you begin by praying, Lord, show me what you reveal yourself as in the Word of God. That Psalm 62, 11, and 12 that I read for you just a minute ago, that God is powerful and God shows himself in steadfast love. God is God and God is good. And if I don't start with that every day, I'll be a mess and so will you. And if we start with that, then we're going to be able to say, as we have said so many times here, we begin our day with saying, Everything is going, help me, according to plan. God has a plan. And everything else will shake out from that. Point three, you must resist the temptation to compromise and run from danger. Verse 10, now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Methabel, who was confined to his home, he said, it's, it's amazing how people want to, get you involved in dialogue, let us meet together. Oh, where? In the house of God, within the temple. That may be nothing to you, but it was that revealed that Shemaiah was not anything but a false prophet. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they're coming to kill you. Talk about trying to frighten them. And they're coming to kill you by night. But I said, number one, should, should such a man as I run away. He was wise to his schemes. He's trying to get him to run away, first of all. If he can't derail you, distract you, or discredit you, he'll try to get you to defile yourself. What would have happened if, out of fear, Nehemiah had run away? Every time that he had told the people to stand strong. Forget it. Look at that leader. He ran. But another thing he was trying to do is to get him to go into the house of the Lord. Now, remember this. Nehemiah said, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Paul said, I die daily. That was Nehemiah's attitude. So he was not going to run away. And he was not going to go against God's command for the sake of safety or expediency. Let me just show you why he knew that this was a false prophet. No true prophet would tell him to go into the temple, close the doors, and hide there. He wasn't a priest. And so if he'd done that, all the people would have said, well, pfft, Nehemiah is just willing to do anything, even violate the word of God to save his own hide. 
And that is absolutely important. He said, for this purpose he was hired. He knew he was a false prophet, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. And then he said, his prayer, remember to buy and send ballot, oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also there was a prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Last thing. Complete your, mission, your commission. And again, understand that the battle never stops. This is amazing. We'll end with this. So the wall was finished, verse 15, in the 25th day of the month of, uh, month of Elu, in 52 days, when all of our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and felt greatly in their, fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had not been accomplished with the, had been accomplished with the help of, the, of God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah. Tobiah's letters came to them, for many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, son of Era. His son Joachim had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my present and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Now, the first part of this is stunning. How long did it take them to build the walls? Do you know how long they had been in the land? A hundred years. For a hundred years, they were 52 days away from building the wall. Was it simply a matter that Nehemiah was a great leader? Actually, he was a great follower. And many people would look at this and they would say, oh, look at Nehemiah, adopt his leadership skills. But remember, even their enemies recognized that God had accomplished this. Folks, one thing I told you about our staff meetings on Monday afternoon, one thing that is in my heart, I pray that God would do such a work here that the only possible, I don't know what that looks like. I'm not just talking about numbers and all the rest of that, but the only possible explanation would be God accomplished that. Remember, God works through faithful people, but it is God who works. So what are we saying to this? Complete your commission. It's what Paul said in Acts 20, 24. I don't count my life as any value or precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Don't give up. Don't get distracted. Don't be defiled. Complete the commission that God has given to you. Why? We go back to God's agenda and Satan's agenda. Satan's agenda is that he came to kill, to steal, and destroy. Jesus' agenda, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. How does that happen? The next verse says it. The good shepherd 
lays down his life for the sheep. That's the gospel. There is no other way to come into the Father's presence but through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you, you have not realized this, that you are a sinner before a holy God, and that you're under God's just wrath, but that Jesus was sent by the Father to die on Calvary's cross in the place of sinners like you and me. By turning away from sin, repenting and believing in Jesus Christ and His finished work, you can enter into a relationship that is eternal. And after a prayer in a few moments, we're going to celebrate that together by taking the Lord's Supper. But while I pray, it is my prayer and my hope that if there is anyone here who has not prayed that prayer today, or perhaps listening online, that today would be the day of salvation. Father, I thank you for the good word that you give us from your word. And I pray that now as we have thought about our commission to make disciples, beginning with ourselves and moving out in concentric circles, that you would help us to do that, those of us who know you, so that when it's accomplished, it may not look like a lot from the world's point of view, but it will be in your eyes a great work. That you would be glorified and it would be for our good, individually, family, as a church. And Father, now we look at the gospel through the picture of the Lord's Supper that you have given to us. We pray that you would open our hearts as we receive the little wafer that is representative of the body of Christ broken for us. We drink the cup representative of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That afresh and anew we would commit ourselves to live out the implications and the reality of the gospel. So Father, thank you for this. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.